You're listening to Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark about accounting matters because accounting matters. Welcome back to another episode of Accounting Matters. This episode is part two of a two-part series on stock-based compensation. If you haven't listened to part one, I recommend that you pause this episode and listen to that one first. We introduced the topic from a high level in that episode, and we'll continue to dive in with Adam and James on this one. We'll cover recognition, some of the actual balance sheet, income statement, and disclosure requirements, and we'll round it out with some practical applications from James, with some things he's gleaned from being out in the field. We hope you enjoy the episode and learn something new. Okay, so we wrapped up last episode talking about the classification, and we know that classification is important because it impacts the recognition of compensation costs. So let's start talking about that expense recognition on these share-based awards. I know this area can get a bit complicated, so can you help break it down a bit? Yeah, so the grant date fair value of an award is recognized as compensation cost over the employee's requisite service period. Now, the requisite service period may be stated explicitly or implicitly it may be derived from the actual award document. As we discussed earlier, the vesting can be based on service conditions, performance conditions, or a combination of both. So you mentioned the term requisite service period. Can we talk a little bit more about that? In cases where it's explicit, seems like it might be pretty obvious what to do. Mm -hmm. But what about when it's implicit or not stated at all? How does one determine it? Yeah, so for implicit service period, uh, it's essentially derived from the other performance or service conditions. For an example, an award that is expected to at the completion of a product launch, which could occur within the next 24 months. When a requisite service period is not stated and cannot be implicitly determined, it still has to be derived. I mean, we have to expense it over some period. So this is often done through the valuation techniques uh, in the award. So it's pretty common that awards with market conditions to have derived or requisite service periods. Awards with multiple performance or service conditions have terms that with multiple service periods for accounting purposes. However, we do have to define one requisite service period. So in those cases, the company needs to go back and look at all the facts and circumstances of the award and look at all the vesting conditions, uh, the implicit and explicit derived service periods, and the probability of the award and meeting those performance conditions. Okay, so I know with many awards, they include both the performance and service condition to vest. We've talked about that throughout the episode. So Adam, can you explain how listeners should think about those types of awards? Yeah, like I said, it it is common. There's agreements out there with all sorts of vesting conditions. And so I think it's, you know, really important when you have multiple vesting conditions is to understand whether the different vesting conditions are a function of an and vesting or an or vesting so Mm -hmm. like do we have to satisfy all the vesting conditions for the award to vest or is it one or the other um so that's an important distinction to know about you know one thing to kind of keep in mind is like you know if an award contains a service condition and a performance condition and it requires both to vest um and the performance condition let's say it's not probable of occurring uh, the company wouldn't actually recognize any compensation expense until that performance condition became probable and when you're evaluating performance conditions in terms of probable, not probable, again, it, it you know it mirrors the guidance that you would use in other areas of GAAP. So the contingency guidance here, you know, refers to probable, 
um, in ASC 450. And really that is just a matter of evaluating whether it's likely to occur or not. One other thing to kind of keep in mind is that, you know, especially for private companies that are private equity backed, they'll oftentimes have um, performance conditions in their agreements that state that the award only vests upon a liquidity event. So like an IPO or a change in control, um, you know, assuming that the employee is still an employee of the company at the time of that event. Um, if you have that type of performance condition in your award, you know, it's important to recognize is that the definition of probable of any of those events occurring isn't actually until the event occurs itself because it is outside control of the company. So in other words, no compensation expense would ever be recognized on an award that requires a performance condition related to an IPO or change of control until the event happens. Just one thing to like point out there, because I think a lot of times people are trying to always figure out, like, should I be recognizing anything at this point? And, and the answer is no. So in that same vein, what happens to awards that never vest? Let's say the IPO never happens or an employee leaves prior to meeting all the vesting conditions for an award. Yeah. So what's, you know, obviously if the IPO never happens, again, there'll be nothing would have been recognized at that point because like it, it'll happen once the event occurs. But a lot of times, you know, especially if the award is just like a service-based award. So let's mm -hmm. say you got to stay for five years and, you know, year three, you say, I'm out of here. I hate this place. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's essentially referred to as a forfeiture of an award. Mm -hmm. And so the accounting for forfeitures in 718 is really one of two ways. So in a company basically has to make an accounting policy election to account for forfeitures either by estimating those forfeitures um, or just accounting for the forfeitures as they occur. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, forfeitures only apply to pre-vested awards. Um, if an award is forfeited, I used air quotes even though people listening can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but if, if an award is forfeited and it is a post-vested award, it's actually referred to as a cancellation of that award. And that distinction between forfeiture and cancellations, uh, you know, it's important um, because it does impact any, you know, expense previously recognized. Because forfeitures, if they occur, results in a reversal of compensation expense, whereas cancellations would not. One other thing to keep in mind is for companies that do estimate forfeitures, um, or if a company decides to account for them as they occur, at the end of the day, like total cumulative compensation expense for that award, they're gonna be the same, um, or they should be the same if you if you accounted for that correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so whichever way you pick, um, at the end of the day, you're gonna end up recognizing the same total compensation cost for that award. Makes sense. So shifting gears a little bit, I often hear people refer to service condition awards as cliff vesting or graded vesting, which I don't understand at all. So can you explain what those mean and how to account for that? Yeah, so cliff vesting basically means that the entire award vests on a specified date. So you get to that date and you fall off the cliff. Um, <laughs> oh. So it's kind of all or nothing. So an example would be, you know, the award fully vests at the end of three years of service. So on that last day of that third year, that's when that award would vest. If you were to leave one day prior, you wouldn't get any of the award. Wow. Um, on the other hand, graded vesting is essentially an award that vests in tranches. So I think I used this example earlier, but... Um, Basically, if you had an employee who was granted 100 stock options, 
um, that required four years of service, but each year, 25% of those options would vest. Um, that's what's considered graded vesting. So you get some of the, some skin in the game with each year of service. So for cliff vesting awards, um, you know, a company is basically gonna recognize the comp expense kind of straight line over that service period. Um, but when it comes to expense recognition for those with graded vesting, you know, so long as the only kind of vesting condition is just that service condition, there is an option to make an accounting policy election um, as it relates to the recognition of expense. And that can either be done on a straight line basis, kind of similar to your to a cliff vesting award, mm -hmm. um, or it would be done on a graded vesting basis, which basically, you know, you would view almost each tranche as a separate individual award and recognize expense on each tranche individually. Um, one thing to keep in mind, if you do elect the graded vesting kind of attribution of that comp expense is that you will accelerate the expense recognition over the straight line approach. Um, obviously, at the end of the day, they're both going to be the same, but it does accelerate recognition of comp expense. So is that like timing of the expense as a put like we're spreading it out more by doing these different methods? Yeah, so it's basically as like you receive services from the employee, they're like, you're going to recognize the vesting in the award. Okay. So James, how is recognition yes. different if the award was liability classified, if at all? It does differ because the liability of the awards are remeasured at each reporting period, as we talked about, or each balance sheet date. So essentially, the company would do the following. So they measure the fair value of the, the award at the grant date, as we talked about. They recognize that over the requisite service period. And then they remeasure that fair value at each one of the reporting dates. And then what they'll do is they'll true up the cost for each reporting period to the, to the fair value. And then once vested, they immediately recognize the compensation cost for any of the, the changes. So basically at the end, if the fair value differs from what they've recognized, they recognize that in the period. Okay, so are performance are, or market conditions viewed differently for liability awards then? So in some cases, yeah, but in general, the vesting conditions follow the same as uh, equity-based award. So assuming that all the conditions of the grant have been met, the company would recognize the compensation expense um, with performance conditions when it becomes probable that they will be achieved. So the, re the measurement of the compensation cost, however, would be based on the fair value at each reporting date. As we talked about, each reporting date, you're reassessing the fair value for the liability of the award and recognizing it then. For liability classified awards with a market condition, the same periodic remeasurement approach still applies with the impact of the market condition incorporated when you're doing that remeasurement. One key difference though for the liability awards is that if the market condition is not satisfied, the, the fair value of the award would be zero. So again, we're, we're cheering up, we're remeasuring, we're looking at it, if it's zero, it's zero. However, for the equity-based awards, you still have to recognize the minimum fair value at the grant date of the costs and re recognize that. All right, well, let's move on into some of the reporting and disclosure requirements, starting with the balance sheet. Adam, what do we do here? Yeah, so we previously talked about, you know, awards are essentially going to be classified as a liability or an equity on the balance sheet once you kind of go through that guidance. Um, for liability classified awards, you know, obviously if you're presenting a classified balance sheet, you may want to figure out what, what piece of that potentially needs to go in current versus non-current. So 
you know, any awards that are expected to vest over the next year or any awards that are already vested and could be payable on demand would, you know, go into your kind of current liability balance. And then all other awards that are liability would just be non-current. Um, one thing you need to think about for your equity classified awards, particularly for public companies or any, you know, maybe private companies that are going down that public company journey um, <laughs> is the temporary equity guidance. So, you know, there could be certain share-based awards that are currently classified in permanent equity that would need to be presented in, you know, in the mezzanine, particularly if those awards have any type of like redemption or kind of cash settlement features um, that would preclude them from being part of permanent equity under that, that guidance as well. And what about on the income statement side? Where does the cost of share-based awards go? Yeah, so stock compensation costs is usually just included in the same income statement line as any other like compensation that you pay to employees, you know, so wherever your cash compensation goes. So it, it could be multiple places depending on the type of organization or the business itself. So, um, you know, cost of sales potentially could be an item if, you know, employees are involved in maybe the manufacturing of certain goods or something that you provide. Um, other places you might see be R&D if you've got employees that are involved in, you know, research and development, or if it's, you know, most of your kind of salaries and payroll type costs are just, you know, if they flow into your GNA costs, then, you know, you'd reflect the cost within there. So it kind of depends on um, the entity itself. Um, you also need to kind of keep in mind that if you do have certain um, compensation costs that are capitalized, so we mentioned like stuff that flows through cost of sales is probably originally capitalized into inventory. So um, some of these costs may actually go up on the balance sheet depending on the nature of the entity itself. All right, and then bringing us fully through the financial reporting process, as we always do, what about disclosures? I know there's a lot that can be required here, so can you maybe give us the high level key themes? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to do here and tracking a lot of this information and pulling some of this together is probably the, the biggest hurdle itself. Um, so that's more the mechanics of it, but just from like a gap perspective, there really are kind of four key objectives that the guidance is trying to get at with, you know, disclosures. Um, and it's really just to, you know, obviously provide users of the financials with the information about how a company compensates its employees and, um, so things that generally go into the disclosure, you're obviously going to have a discussion around just the nature and the terms of the different stock-based compensation arrangements that are there, you know, what's outstanding during the period. There's often this roll forward schedule that kind of shows the activity, um, you know, of the different, you know, awards that are, that are out there, um, including kind of the weighted average exercise prices of those awards. Um, you'll talk about the income statement effects of stock-based compensation, you know, the methods for how you estimated, you know, fair values. So those grant date fair values of your compensation awards, some of your key inputs that went into those, mm -hmm. those valuation uh, methodologies that you utilize. Um, and then also obviously talking about the cash flow effects um, of your stock compensation awards. Um, most of those things as you, you'll see, obviously they're required for your annual um, financial statements disclosures. Um, some companies do include them in, as well in some of their interim reporting, but you know it should be noted that from an interim perspective, um, it isn't explicitly required to have like the full robust um, 718 disclosures. 
um, really unless there have been just significant changes during the period. So it kind of alludes back to that interim financial reporting guidance in ASC 270 that, hey, you need to kind of qualitatively or judgmentally determine like, is it prudent to put additional disclosure around stock comp in our interim periods because we've had a lot of activity or changes or whatever the case may be. Yeah, that's really helpful. Let's um, switch gears here to James and talk about this practically. How does a company actually tackle accounting for share-based awards? Yes, so I like to break this up into different you know, time frames. So first there's ad hoc, so just as things occur. Uh, then there's monthly processes and then quarterly and finally the annual processes. So uh, for the ad hoc, it's more an administrative in nature. So as, as, as the company goes throughout time, they're granting awards. So you may have employees that come and go, mm-hmm. like key employees. And so you can have, while you can have like an annual grant, you'll have these one-off grants that happen in the middle of the year, in the middle of the month. And then you'll also have people that leave. So you'll have to account for the forfeitures throughout the year. And it's important to keep up with that. So don't let it pile up until the end of the quarter, because oftentimes the person who's performing the accounting for this is also involved in the reporting. So you have all your reporting uh, criteria you have to, to, to meet your responsibilities. And so it's important to keep track of it. And so on a monthly process basis, it's pretty easy if you're keeping track of it ad hoc. So on the mm-hmm. monthly, you can either uh, run a report or update your spreadsheets to pull the expense. And so the expense is just debit compensation expense, credit, APIC, or another equity line item. And so those are often, it sounds really simple, but they can be pretty complex because employees sit uh, in all these different areas. And management usually wants to actually look at what is the cost for a uh, division or unit or, or area or department. And so to, it can take a little bit of legwork in getting the, the cost to these like cost centers or mm-hmm. departments and, and, and recognizing that. On a quarterly basis, like Adam mentioned, you know, you would look at to see whether there was a material change. So typically companies do have a annual grant. So whatever quarter that that annual grant occurs, you might want to consider whether you you disclose that and talk about the nature of the grant and and, and some of the key aspects of it. And annually, that's where the a lot of the legwork comes in. Depending upon what tools and methods you're using, it could be a lot of work or it could be a little work. So um, my suggestion there is don't wait until the end to, to think about that. But um, you have to pull in a lot of information to get that uh, to get that disclosure updated annually. Yeah, I think one other thing to like, you know, you mentioned about like not letting stuff pile up and, you know, especially if you've got multiple grants and things happening throughout the year, um, you know, depending on the complexity of your awards, if you're also engaging like valuation, oh, right. outside yeah. valuation specialists, you know, just making sure that, you know, they're teed up to help assist you with these different grants and you're staying on top mm-hmm. of that as well. Or if you are doing it internally and you have the, the means to do that you know, just also staying on top of that as well, because you do have to come up with that grant date fair value for each of these grants. Yep, yep. And tracking is important because they'll have different fair values based upon the date they're granted, like we talked about. Yeah, so speaking of tracking, how does a company keep track of the grants, the compensation expense, the forfeitures, the vesting dates? It seems like a lot of information to manage. So yeah, how do you do it? (laughs) It can be, I mean, you know, smaller companies, may not have a a hard time, larger companies, 
is they're going to have a, a, a lot a uh, lot harder time. It just depends on the activity, the number of shares, the number of employees. But generally, they fall in some buckets. There's most companies they will start off this way. They'll have in-house spread Excel spreadsheets. Pretty simple. You can do it. First grant, easy. Then as the company starts issuing more grants, because you don't have to just account for the current grant, you also have to track prior year grant and they'll pile up. There are software solutions that can help track. And there's also outsourced service providers. And then there's also a hybrid of both. Some of the service providers have a software you can use and they'll let you pick and choose of, of who is going to have what responsibility. So you mentioned some software solutions are there any specifically that are available that you know of? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, some of the common ones that we see are Carta, ShareWorks, Equity Edge, and Computer Share. Um, there are a lot of other ones that are boutiques that are out there. And so it's really finding the software that is the right fit for the organization. Um, you know, a large one will, might need um, more a large company with more complex grants, they're going to need a more robust software, whereas a, a company that's just issuing like RSUs or restricted shares, they don't need a very complex or software. So you can you can choose the one that fits the organization the best. Any key considerations to think through as you're choosing your software solution? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is don't wait until the end. Um, <laughs> it does take implementation time. And actually, there are quite a few companies that will wait until the end. And so if you don't get in in the line quick enough, then you'll end up having to do it manually. Mm -hmm. So think about implementation time. You also have to, to pay attention to the software features. Uh, what are the needs of the organization? What kind of grants do you have? Are they really complex? Or are they really easy? I mentioned, don't forget about your employees, because part of this, this software is Employees want to know how many grants do I have? Are they vested? Or if there are options, can I exercise them? Mm -hmm. There are all these questions. And so uh, it's important to consider what are the reporting needs or the, the clients, the self-service, how you're going to mechanically, if you are going to issue awards, transfer those over. Um, so the needs of the user are important. It's also too important to figure out how you're going to use the software. How is it going to work with your organization? Uh, with your accounting organization, how you're going to get information in and pull information out. And then at the very end, of course, cost is always a consideration. All right. That's super helpful stuff. So let's land the plane here with just some best practices for managing accounting for stock-based compensation. Yeah. So, so first is find the tool that's right for the organization. Like I mentioned earlier, a smaller organization may not need a software. You can manage it with Excel, Several companies do that. You can be successful. Um, that being said, a software is really nice to keep track of it, and especially when you have more individuals that are asking questions, there's more activity. It can be overburdensome on a person, one person to have to enter all that information in, in Excel, pull up all these reports, run it. Then you also run the risk of having an error the more complex your reports are. So it's also important to have someone that understands the guidance clearly. So even if you are going to outsource it and you're going to use a software, you need to have someone internally that really understands stock-based comp, the implications of it, the questions to ask, the things that are needed, the valuations, like Adam mentioned, hey, what you know, do can we do this valuation internally? Do we have to get an expert? Um, and that the inputs 
are still needed. Mm -hmm. So even if you have everything outsourced, you still have to give the software or the vendor the critical inputs or else your output is going to be junk, right? Uh, trash in, trash out. <laughs> <laughs> but also keep the criteria simple. Um, mm -hmm. You can come up with all these fantastic exotic ways, but at the end of the day, you have to measure it. So if you cannot measure a performance criteria easily, like that is going to be a hurdle. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I've seen some where they put in place this grant, this company put in place this grant, and they had no idea how it was going to be measured. <laughs> so we came yeah. up to the reporting period and we had to measure it. And I was going around and talking to, to the executives and, and they were like, well, we didn't really think about how to measure this and so it, it took some discussion and so that that forethought and thinking of these grants how they're going to be measured at their performance and then keeping it simple it's also important for the person who's performing the accounting to have a good relationship with the key players so that compensation board the person in hr it's often an executive and the cfo those are the the, the parties that are usually involved because you have to be aware of what's coming down the pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also important because they can give some guidance on the accounting impact. I mean, the awards and the grants shouldn't be just based on the accounting, but uh, oftentimes, like I said, how you're going to measure it, the market conditions, the performance conditions, um, it can be more complex on the accounting side. So having that good relationship is important. And oftentimes it's a back and forth. They may. Uh, want to give a certain dollar amount of compensation and then uh, figuring out the number of grants or the means or the budget is a back and forth communication because they'll want to know how is this going to be accounted for? How is it going to be expensed? How is it going to show up in the balance sheet and in the income statement? Is it a liability? Is it equity? These are things that, that, that need to be considered because management does not want to have a surprise on, oh, hey, we thought this was going to be equity. Now it's actually liability. Boom. You know, it's it, it can change or, you know, we we weren't considering this other impact. And so that relationship is very important. And that would be best practices to maintain it. Man, I think that's some really <laughs> helpful advice. I think people are going to need to sit with their notepads and take some notes on this one. All right. I think that's a great place to round out our conversation. And that concludes this two part series on stock based compensation. Thank you, Adam and James, for taking the time to talk our listeners through that. As always, we would love to connect with you if you would like to learn more. You can find us on just about every social media platform, and those links should be in the show notes. Thank you for following along on another episode of Accounting Matters. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.